Louise Bedford here. Just before we kick off with today's show, I wanted to let you know that for one week only, you can get up to 84% off a selection of my most popular trading education products available through tradinggame.com.au. Make no mistake. Your financial future is in your hands. So check out the audios, videos, and study courses that I have available at tradinggame.com.au. Now's your chance to develop your skills as a trader for up to 84% off, but only for the next week. Let's get on with the show. Hello, I'm Christopher Tate, and welcome to our market wrap for the week ending 15th of the 10th, 2022. Now, before I get started at looking at what was undoubtedly an extremely interesting week on equities markets, a few pieces of parish news as usual. Uh, Everything I discuss here is of a general nature only. There is no person-specific advice given whatsoever. The second is, if you're picking this up as a podcast, Uh, You'll notice that during the conversation I reference a lot of charts. I'm also reproducing this as a video on our YouTube channel. So if you head over to YouTube and simply look for Trading Game, you will find this video. We'll also include a link to it in the show notes for the podcast. In terms of the week that was, the first thing I want to do is break down the individual days of the week and actually have a look at what happened. And this is a chart of the S&P 500. Uh, This... I've actually broken this down into 10-minute segments, which is unusual for me because I don't normally do that. But it does give a good indication of what occurred during the week. You can see the early part of the week, the market really just drifted a little bit, and it drifted down. Thursday had opened precipitously down and looked as if it was going to collapse and then had this dramatic reversal. And it is an extremely large intraday reversal, and the S&P 500 ended up being up around about 2.6% for the day. And Friday saw a dramatic reversal of fortune where the market fell away again and gave away about 2.4%. This is quite a dramatic series of movements for a market. But as we'll see, we need to place this within context to get an understanding of what is actually going on. When I looked at the daily moves, I wanted to try and work out what was happening, what caused the market to slip so dramatically, then recover dramatically, then slip again. And so I broke the days down into their composite move and their volume. And as you can see, first three days of the week, volume is about the same. There's a little bit of difference there on the Tuesday, but not that much. Thursday quite a leap in volume from the day before. Friday, volume, let's call it, is half of what Thursday was. The question is, what caused that dramatic intraday turnaround? There's been a few arguments put forward, and most notably the notion of short covering. My preferential explanation, and the reason for this will become apparent in a few moments when we look at the historical context of these moves, is that This is simply a hypervigilant market. It is hyperreactive to all things that are occurring. And that during these periods, you will get these dramatic turnarounds that in effect have no real basis for them occurring. They just occur. 
there's simply a reactive movement that gathers its own momentum, its own steam. And once they have started, they tend to keep going for the day. Sanity then prevails overnight and they reverse, which does lead us to the notion of asking the simple question, what is the context? One of the things that is difficult about trading is that traders will wake up and they will see news such as this. The market is up 2.6% and they will adopt the import of that in isolation of all other things. But daily movements don't exist in isolation. They exist within a continuum or, or spectrum of moves. They are part of the history of moves. So if we look at last week in terms of its history, we start to get a sense of where this move fits. And where it fits is, it looks like simply a large intraday reversal within a continuing downtrend. And this is for the past quarter. If we move out a little bit further, we see that it is simply a continuation of the trend. There's been no alteration in the trend. And this is difficult for traders to deal with because it means that if you've not taken some form of defensive action or you have some mechanism of shorting markets either through individual stocks, indices or options, then you're really just caught within the noise of what is going on. And that proves to be problematic because noise causes people to make silly decisions. It's very difficult for people to step away from markets when they are so noisy. And all world equities markets at present are noisy. They are hyper-reactive and they're desperately looking for some direction other than this notion of drifting and falling down. The second point we need to look at is to ask a simple question. A lot of the issues around trading are solved simply by looking at history. I do know that I harp on about this, but what happened last week is not history. What happened 20 years ago is history. What happened 50 years ago is history. And by understanding where you sit in history, then you get a sense of what is happening. So you have to ask the question, has this happened before? And if so, when? And what were the subsequent events? So when we come back to this and we see this, we see that the market went up 2.6%, but the intraday turnaround was actually much larger, followed by a fall of 2.4%. What does that mean? Because if we were to simply to look at this and this data alone, as many traders do, which explains why they struggle with markets, you can't really make a decision. That there's not enough information here to put you within the historical context of these moves. So what I did was I went back to the last dramatic fall we had on the market, which was the GFC. From my reckoning, the high before the beginning of the GFC occurred on 10th of the 10th, 07. By my reckoning, it ended about on the 5th of the 3rd, 09. I then looked at these very large daily moves, and I've only picked out those where the market moved up by more than 2.5%. So we have date, daily percentage change, but we have a third column, the subsequent percentage fall on the S&P 500 after that move occurred. 
So if we look at the two that I've highlighted, and these were really two quite dramatic dates. First one, 13th to 10th, 2008, market lifted 11.6%. After that day, it then fell 32% more. If we look at 28th to the 10th, market rose 10.8% in a single day, but then fell 27.5% after that. It's important to note that this table doesn't tell you that the current market is going to fall X percent after today's move. What it is designed to do is to tell you that this sort of thing is not unusual. It's not a one-off. This has happened before and it will happen again. This provides historical context for what is occurring. The market at present is in a bear market. There is no getting around that. If you have not taken defensive action to protect your portfolio, then unfortunately you're in a situation where you are going to have to suffer until it ends and hope that the positions you have are not so badly damaged that they recover eventually. Unfortunately, history tells us that a lot of them just simply won't recover. They will stay moribund for probably decades. But what it also tells you is that when you have markets that are falling, they are very, very much hyper-responsive. They do bounce around. And the unfortunate thing about this, even for short-term traders, is that they generate a lot of noise. To give you an indication of how noisy they are, this is simply a line chart of the S&P 500, and I've plotted 10-day historical volatility down the bottom. You'll see that on the basis of the 10-day historical volatility, volatility is high. My interpretation of this is that noise is high, signal is low. Noisy markets need to be avoided unless you have a mechanism for dealing with them in the short term. Simply because you become responsive to false breakouts, false signals, things that really have no follow-through. And it is important to remember as a trader that you are paid on price. You're not paid on noise. You're not paid on activity. Yes, I know that your broker will be sending out missives to you saying, be prepared to trade the volatility and be profitable. What that really should say is, be prepared to trade the volatility and be absolutely malleted. Volatility gives us an excuse to be active. And activity is the prime driver for the majority of traders. It is not the search for profitability. And so these sorts of markets are very, very good at wealth transference. They transfer money from those who wish to be active to those who have a stable, steady approach to how to trade them. So in terms of the US market, in terms of the S&P 500, as I said before, unless you have a mechanism for dealing on the short side, you're really caught in a situation where unless you've taken action to liquidate your portfolio and move to cash and be prepared for when the market turns, you're somewhat caught in a bind. You're stuck and you'll need to wait until it ends and hope it's not too bad. And I, I, I make reference to the notion of having liquidated your portfolio or enacted some form of stock mechanism when the market began to roll over for the simple reason that the trader who starts a bull market when they begin, and it will begin again, with the most money wins. It is not the one who boasts about having hung on during the worst times. 
if you have two traders, two equal systems, one starts with more money than the other, the one who starts with the more money wins. It's just the way it is. The situation is somewhat similar on our local market. And here I've replicated the historical volatility chart, but just on the All Ordinaries. The All Ords exhibits the same pattern, and it really is a noisy churning market. And you can see volatility using a 10-day measure is at historical highs. Again, the market is noise, and noise is problematic. And we can see that if we look at the structural components of the local market, at present, only about 24% of stocks in the ASX 200, the S&P ASX 200 to be correct, are above their 200-week moving average. I use 200-week simply because it is a long-term measure of market health. I know people drift towards much, much shorter measures, but again, I, from my perspective, that simply exacerbates this notion of noise. I want to do as much as possible to dampen down the noise and heighten the signal. And markets really don't get going until the majority of shares within them are above long-term moving averages. That's just a given and should be understood as a natural state of markets. In terms of individual commodities where and instruments where trading opportunities are occurring, because to date we've just looked at my observations of markets, I'm intrigued by the weakness in gold given the strength of inflation. I'm intrigued at the structural change that seems to have occurred in gold. Gold is bouncing towards this previous intermediate low at just above 1600. I'm very, very interested to see what happens if perceptions of inflation for the coming year, and remember markets are future pacing, they think ahead. They're not responding by and large unless they're hyper-responsive to what's occurring today. They will eventually pivot and look at what they perceive might occur in the future. And if they perceive that inflation is coming under control, it will be very, very interesting to see what happens to gold and to see whether it can hold this $1,600 mark. I've included silver in here simply because it's congesting sideways. By and large, I don't trade silver. I find it a commodity that doesn't give me a great deal when I trade it. But I am intrigued by congestion patterns, as you'll see with my last sort of discussion in this piece. When price congests, when it moves through a range like this, to my way of thinking, it's simply building energy. And the longer it stays in congestion, the more explosive the breakout. We have no idea of what the direction of the breakout will be. We simply know that there will be one. However, I need to offer a word of caution. When traders see congestion patterns, they say to themselves, well, what I'll do is I'll just buy it at the bottom and sell it at the top. What really ends up happening is that they buy and sell at the midpoint and they just end up churning their account. From my perspective, we come back to this notion of simply waiting for the signal and avoiding the noise. If we were to look at the local market and look at stocks that had been very, very positive, you would see names such as Whitehaven and New Hope, coal stocks. This is actually the price of coal. And this is a long-term price chart. This is a weekly price chart. And you can see that the price of coal is starting to roll over towards its long-term moving average. You can see that it has peaked and is drifting back. This will undoubtedly have an impact upon those style of stocks and may 
slow what has been their, their very powerful upward trajectory. In terms of currencies, I don't really have a lot to say, and I don't really have a lot to say simply because of this. This is the US dollar index. It's an index that charts a basket of currencies against the US dollars. What you see here is the enormous strength in the US dollar. It is pushing every other counterparty currency off a cliff. But again, you're faced with a problem. If you're new to currency trading and you come across the US yen, the question is, do you go along at the current prices? And that's a very difficult question to answer, simply because it's at what you'd call generational highs. And this is the problem being presented to currency traders. What do you do at present? And I think, once again, a lot of the response to that is you simply stand aside and wait. Because in terms of, I don't like the term risk-reward, but in terms of bang for your buck, in terms of the risk you're exposing yourself to at a given point in the market, to me, at present, with the continued strength in the US dollar, there's not really a lot there, unless you're trading very small, very short segmented timeframes. There may be something in it for you there. But then because of the nature of foreign exchange, you will have to be dramatically leveraged to get much in the way of bang for buck. In terms of positions I have taken and or are interested in, this is Robusta Coffee, which has broken down quite strongly and which has support around the 1900 mark, but is currently at 21, 2110. So there is scope for movement there. But this brings me to my, what I consider for me my most interesting observation of the week, which is Bitcoin. And it's interesting for a few reasons. The first is we have this congestion pattern appearing. Price is hovering around the 19,000 mark. It is bouncing around. But it is compressing. And you get a sense of that compression because if you look at volatility again, the volatility for Bitcoin has drifted down to historic lows. So you have two things occurring. You have price compressing with low volatility. So you, in effect, have a spring being wound. And the more a spring is wound, the more energy it has. And so I'm actually quite fond of these patterns to sit and watch them. However, there is no indication as to whether it will break up or down. It is just that the longer it compresses, the longer volatility begins to drift and drop, the more explosive that move will be. So Bitcoin sits in my watch list with a series of alerts to let me know when that might happen. However, one of the biggest mistakes people can make with these sorts of patterns is to go early, is to try and guess the potential direction. And unfortunately, Bitcoin is surrounded still by noise and hype. From my way of thinking at present, you have an even money bet as to whether it will break up or down. And so you have to work on that as a working hypothesis, which in turn means that you have to stand back and wait. And unfortunately for instruments like Bitcoin, it is very, very difficult to get people to stand back and wait, in part because of the noise, in part because of their own desperation for it to do something for them. But sitting and waiting does actually turn out to be very, very profitable. So in summary for the week that was, opportunities are not as rampant across all markets as you might expect or you might want, which is unfortunate. Equities markets continue to fall 
And that's just a function of the way they're operating at prison. That's their mood. And you have to put up with that until it ends. There are scattered opportunities in various bits and pieces, but occasionally markets go through these phases. And again, this comes back to the notion of history if you've been around long enough. They have these phases where most asset classes simply stall for a bit. And the stall is not permanent. It's simply pervasive. But you have to accept it whilst it's there and not try to force it. You cannot force trades that are not there. And I'll I'll reference this Bitcoin trade in closing. My observation is, is that there will be people who will listen to this and who will go out and immediately go along Bitcoin. That's the wrong thing to do because that's not waiting. Nor, nor is it the point of view that is in any way supported by the evidence. The evidence is that Bitcoin at present is drifting and is compressing. What happens at the end of that compression, we don't know. You simply have to wait. And that's the hard part for traders, because we consider trading to be a job. The more you do your job, the more you get paid. Unfortunately, in trading, that's not true. The more perceptive and precise your decision-making is, the more you get paid. And sometimes that means for some extreme forms of trading systems, you might make half a dozen decisions per year and make a great deal of money. But it comes back to finding a mechanism that suits you. But in closing, the thing I will say is I've never ever come across, across a trader who is suited to trading noise.